All right, there we go. That's a bit better. Uh, Kia ora, everyone. Um, it's my privilege to be opening God's Word with you this morning. Um, so before we begin, let me pray. Oh, great God, we've just been singing uh, about who you are and what you've done. And we thank you that these words we've been singing, um, they are beautiful words in a song, but they are real. Uh, we thank you, God, that you are not a God who is far off, but you are a God who is near. Um, and we thank you, God, that uh, not only are you the God of the past, but you're the God of the present and the God of the future. Um, so knowing you are here now, we ask, Father, that by your Spirit you might open our minds to hear your word this morning and to speak what it is you want us to hear. We pray this in the name of of our crucified and risen King Jesus. Amen. So um, typically these summer months in New Zealand, right, they're the months where you get to recharge. You know, these are the times where typically at this stage of the year, maybe you've got a little bit more energy and enthusiasm for the year ahead. You've gone to the beach, you've hung out with some friends, uh, had some good barbecues, and you might have some optimism for what lies ahead. Now, this might be true of you this year. <laughs> And if so, congratulations, but I imagine you're probably in the minority. <laughs> I've really got the sense from talking to people um, that for a lot of people right now, they feel just as, if not more tired uh, than they did in December. Um, for some, that might be due to rainy holidays. It could be due to canceled trips. Uh, it could be due to unfulfilled plans. Just the feeling that you've never really had a break. Uh, but there's others here who I believe are just exhausted to their bones due to life and the suffering that can come, right? Uh, maybe someone in your family is dealing with a big illness. Uh, I think I'm all right with this life, so I'll be all good, thank you. Um, or maybe you're dealing with a big illness, and so you're just exhausted by that. Uh, maybe there's been relationship breakdowns in your family or in your friend group, and that's exhausting. Uh, Maybe it feels like your finances are shrinking day by day, and looking ahead at 2023, it's a little bit scary, and that's exhausting. Uh, maybe you're a single mum or a single dad, and that's exhausting. Maybe you're single, and you're exhausted from failed dates and just the hope that maybe feels like it's extinguishing, and that can be exhausting. See, see being a follower of Jesus does not lead to a life without exhaustion. And so the question we're kind of looking at today is, how does a follower of Jesus live faithfully when they're exhausted? What do you do when you've got no strength left and following Jesus feels like too much effort? Now, if you're in that camp this morning, you're in good company, right? There's probably others at church, first of all, here. Uh, but this letter we're looking at today is written to this church in Philadelphia, not the city on the east coast of the United States. Um, but Philadelphia was this little city. We'll see if we can go to the next slide. Maybe I'm just having a tech breakdown here. Okay, maybe someone's going to have to click it through for me today. Oh, no, it's working now. So Philadelphia, you can see on the map there, hopefully in the middle, was a small city. Uh, it was on the gateway between what was called Asia Minor and Asia. And in AD 17, a huge earthquake came through and destroyed this city. This is in Turkey, so this is what's just happened in the past few weeks. A huge um, pop proportion of the population was killed. Uh, they rebuilt, but at the time that John wrote this letter um, to Philadelphia, there was a small little church in there, 
Okay, it was composed of both Jews and non-Jews. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to build a relationship up with their local synagogue, right? A synagogue was where the Jewish people worshipped. Because if they could be tight with the synagogue, then they would be able to enjoy protection from the Romans. But just before this letter comes, it seems like there's some of the Jews in the synagogue had said, no, we don't want any Jesus followers here. It seems like what had been happening is these Jews had been going out in the marketplace and naming and shaming the Christians. So perhaps they hadn't been able to buy and sell anymore. So they were facing pressure in the market. They were facing pressure from the Jews. They were facing pressure from the Roman authorities. They were exhausted. And then they get this letter from John, which is really a letter from Jesus, which is a pretty amazing thought. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. It's Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, if you don't, I have this on the screen above so you can read along. So here we go. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. They who overcome, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I'll, I will also write on them my new name. Whoever, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there's a lot in this letter, but I want to suggest today that to the exhausted church in Philadelphia and maybe to the exhausted follower of Jesus here in Cambridge today, Jesus says three things. He says, in the midst of your exhaustion, open your mouths, hold on, and hope on. I'm going to show you where I believe this comes in the text. So our first bit, open your mouths or keep talking about Jesus, as I believe this is the first thing they're encouraged to do. Do you notice in verse 7 here, uh, Jesus introduces himself with this phrase, the one who is holy and true. Now, this, this phrase, it's only ever used in the Bible to describe God. Holiness is almost only ever used to describe God. So it opens here with a bit of a bang, with Jesus affirming to this church, I am God, the one you follow, Jesus, the one whose name you follow, he is God. But what does Jesus do here in verse 7 and 8? It's a little bit weird, right? He says, he holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. See, this key of David, you might be going, what on earth is that about? Uh, this is language from the prophets, from Isaiah 22, that Jesus is calling back on. And in Isaiah 22, God chose a man, an actual flesh and blood man named Eliakim, and he said, I want Eliakim to have the key of David. And so Eliakim's job was to use this very real physical key to go and open the gates to the temple so people could come in and worship, and at the end of the day to go and shut the gates and lock the gates. That is what the key of David was, right? 
But Christ here, borrowing from this language, says he is the one who opens the way for us to come to God. He's the greater Eliakim, if you want. And Jesus says here, when he opens a way, it stays open. When we're exhausted, right, it can feel like we don't deserve to come to God. Do people know that feeling? You've been so tired and you look back on your week and you're like, man, I haven't done anything good. I haven't read my Bible. I haven't prayed. I haven't shared my faith. I haven't been listening to Life FM. I've done nothing. I'm exhausted, right? Our week's been a mess and it seems like our suffering and exhaustion shuts the door. Maybe you come along and you feel guilty or ashamed of this. But do you hear what Christ is saying? We aren't the ones who open the door. Christ is. And that door to worship God can't be shut. We don't have to push the door open each week to come to God. We never could. Christ has done this, and Christ keeps holding it open. And the kicker here, right, is is why did Eliakim unlock the doors to the temple? What was the reason? It was so people could come and worship, right? This is the language here. So if you're exhausted and at the end of your rope, Jesus is saying, I'm holding the door open for you to come to God and to worship him. I want to be clear, it's probably not like cranking Bethel or raising a hallelujah, because that's probably not how you're feeling when you're exhausted, right? But it's coming to God to worship Him. And and I don't know about you, but I'm deeply grateful that um, there's a type of worship that the Bible teaches us uh, called lament. And this is a type of worship I think God has given us for when we are suffering and when we're exhausted. About a third of the 150 Psalms are Psalms of lament. They're the ones if you're reading and you kind of go, well, that seems a bit of a downer and turn to the next one and try and get to Psalm 23 as quickly as you can, right? But how a psalm of lament works, so you know, is it effectively says, God, I know this is true about you, but I'm not feeling it. I know this is true, but I don't feel it. God, I know you're loving, but I don't feel love. God, I know you're the God who protects, but I feel vulnerable right now. God, I know you're the God who gives energy, but I'm exhausted. And the refrain that keeps going through all of these 50 psalms of lament, songs of lament, is how long, O Lord? And that is worship. So if you're exhausted, maybe this is a type of worship that is worship for you. But there's something else here. Do you notice in verse 8, there's this kind of interesting verse where Jesus says, See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Quickly, just in case you're wondering, When Jesus is saying this, remember Jesus was born of the Jews. John, who's writing this down, he's a Jew, right? So when this phrase synagogue of Satan, it's not saying, oh, all Jews are evil and are satanic. No, 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 no. This is, remember, referring to a very small group of Jews in Philadelphia, in the synagogue, who claim to be Jews but are not, who are trying to ruin these people's lives. Okay, that's what it's referring to there, just in case you're wondering about some anti-Semitic language in the Bible. But do you hear what Jesus says here? First of all, he says, I've opened a door for you. Do you see that? I've placed before you an open door. In the New Testament, whenever there's a language of an open door, this almost always refers to sharing your faith, evangelism. This isn't worship language anymore. This is talking about Jesus language, right? 
So Jesus is saying to the suffering, exhausted church, hey, I've opened a door for you. I know you're exhausted. Just keep talking about me. I'll use that. And what will happen? Jesus says, for this little church in Philadelphia, those Jews who have been ruining your lives and have been causing you this exhaustion, they are going to come and fall at your feet and acknowledge me. And you might be tempted to think this is kind of like shaming language, like they're going to be so shamed, these Jews, and we'll be able to gloat over them. But again, Jesus is drawing back from the words of Isaiah, who prophesied all the nations would come and fall at their feet to worship God. This is language of repentance. This isn't about shame. This is about evangelism. What Jesus is saying to this exhausted little church is he says, I know you're exhausted. I know you've got little strength. Just open your mouths and your tiredness and suffering and don't stop talking about me. I'll use this. Now for us now, if, if, if the idea of talking about Jesus outside of the walls of the church is kind of scary, right? Can I just suggest a simple way to start? is perhaps start talking about Jesus inside the walls of the church. Or, to put this another way, start talking about Jesus with your Christian friends, right? Like, I, I don't know, I, I, I belong to this church my entire life, and I, I love it, but I also know it can be, there's heaps of people who are friends here, right? We've got friendship networks all over the place. But I do know as well that sometimes it can be even awkward for us to talk about Jesus with our friends who we know are Christians when we're not at church. Does that make sense? And so a little suggestion, one thing I've tried before is a couple of questions, if you want. They're not rocket science, <laughs> but it's literally just asking a friend who you know is a Christian to practice this. Just say, hey, how can I be praying for you? Or another one is when you're having a coffee or just texting them or catching up, just saying, what's God been teaching you? Very simple ways to start talking about Jesus. So when you're exhausted here, open your mouths. These psalms of lament or talking about Jesus is what Jesus urges us to do. But that's not all Jesus tells us to do when we're spent. He also tells us to hold on. Now, um, my wife and I have just started in the past few weeks watching this show called Alone. Um, it's on TVNZ. It's remarkable. Highly recommend it. Um, it's a reality competition where effectively what they do is they get these 10 survival specialists and then they drop them in some remote location with no food and hardly any tools. And their goal is to try and survive for 100 days. Okay, all, all by themselves. And it's fascinating to watch because when the contestants arrive, they are full of energy. So they're like building structures. They're going off and exploring. They'll wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and hear a noise and be excited to go see you if it's a bear or something, right? However, after 40 days of eating squirrels and not much else, they're exhausted. And it's interesting to watch that they've just had to let go of so much stuff. They just don't have the energy. They've got to choose, what am I going to let go of and what am I going to hold on to? And they choose to hold on to one thing, and that's gathering food. That's pretty much it, right? And when we're exhausted or in the midst of suffering, I want to be clear, it's wise to let go of things. Some things may be really good things, but they're just asking too much of us in this season. Some things might be bad things we need to let go of, right? We might have to pull back from responsibilities, maybe say no to a few more things. But Jesus is very clear, when you're exhausted, don't say no to him. Keep holding on to Jesus. Keep holding on to Jesus. I love what he says here in verse 11. Jesus says, I am coming soon, so hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have. 
This word means like cling tightly, persevere. And the reason Jesus commands this exhausted church to keep holding on is because it's tempting when we're exhausted to let go, right? So how do we hold on to Jesus, whether we're exhausted or not? First and foremost, this is not Jesus saying, go to every home group, serve in every single ministry at church, like join up, sign up, volunteer, because this is not a word which is about doing things. This is a being word, right? I remember hearing someone once, I can't remember who, but they said, we can get so busy about the kingdom, we can forget about the king, right? Jesus is saying, I think, in your exhaustion and in your suffering, as you're letting go of things, keep coming to him. Don't let go of a daily rhythm of spending time in God's word and in prayer. This is key. In our exhaustion, what we need is we need to hear from God, right? And the primary way God speaks to us is through, awkwardly one hand, is through his word. And we need to respond. And the primary way we do this is back through prayer. And when we're exhausted, it's tempting to give up on these habits, right? But when we're exhausted, we need the strength and life that only God can give. So stay close to him. And a quick little side point before we move on to the the next one is remember what we're reading here. We are reading a letter to a church, to a church. So there's something implicit here, what Jesus is saying here, is don't abandon the church in your exhaustion either. You know, God's plan has always been to form a community right from the very beginning of time. When we're exhausted, we're not to abandon the church because the community of Christ is or should be one of the primary ways we will experience the Holy Spirit's love and care and encouragement. Hear me very carefully. I'm not saying when you're exhausted, you've got to go to church every Sunday, (laughs) right? Church is not a service. Church is a community of people. What I am saying is sometimes I know I hear people going, hey, I'm just in a season where I'm just having to pull back from all people and just focus on Jesus. And I go, well, Jesus wants you to focus on his community here, right? So don't abandon the community in the midst of your exhaustion. So when we're exhausted, we can open our mouths and worship. We hold on to Jesus. And there's one final thing Jesus calls us to do. And that's to hope on when you're exhausted, to hope on. We hold on and we hope on. Um, I remember, many of you will know if you've been part of this church, in 2009, um, I had my first encounter with some pretty freaky kind of mental health stuff. And for me, it was depression. And it was exhausting and scary. And I was the youth pastor here at the time, and I remember sitting up in the office up there one day and um, getting a phone call from an older guy in Auckland uh, who, had, who had lived through this as well. And on this phone call, he said two things to me. He said, Jeremy you're not going crazy, and Jeremy, this will end. And you know what he did in those moments? He gave me hope. Gave me hope. Because when we're in the midst of exhaustion or suffering, what, no matter what type of exhaustion it is, part of the problem is it's difficult to hope, eh? It's difficult to see beyond this. We often can't see past our situation. Now, it's interesting, if you've ever read the book of Revelation before, you'll know there's as many opinions about how to interpret it as there are (laughs) birds in the sky, but they all come together at the end, right? Jesus wins, right? We agree on this, on where things end up. Jesus wins, and those who are faithful to him, who have put their faith in him, they enjoy this eternal life in new heavens and new earth. 
a physical, real flesh and blood future where you and I, if we're faithful to Jesus, we will get to enjoy a place described as being no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain, no more exhaustion. This is not a pipe dream. If you're in Christ, this is the future Christ wants us to hope for. This is the end, and kind of it's the end that leads into the brand new beginning for all those who put their faith in Jesus because he died on the cross for your sins and made it so we could come back to him. Jesus wants us to hope, uh, to desire, to crave, for our guts to long for this future. Because when we hope for things in the right way, it helps us live right in the exhaustion. If you're running, going out for a run, and you are exhausted, but you know at the end of your run there's a hot shower and a cold drink, it keeps you running well, right? If you're waiting for a loved one to come back who's been away on holiday or overseas and it's hard, but you know when they come back it's going to be joy and goodness, that hope keeps you waiting well, right? And C.S. Lewis, he wrote about this, this whole idea about us needing stronger desires. He says this, he says, our desires are not too strong, but they're too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. See, at the end of this little letter to Philadelphia, there's these three promises here. First of all, we're promised if we endure when we're exhausted, we're promised a crown. And in the time of Philadelphia there, crowns were given to athletes who achieved amazing things and endured hardship, or to military officers who endured hardship. And there was a public honoring for them for this enduring. So in your exhaustion and suffering, if you hold fast to Jesus and hope in him, there is a real reward that awaits you, a reward that will echo on into eternity. It'll be a real reward. It sounds like it'll probably be a public reward, and it will be worth it. God is not a God who gives bad gifts, right? So we can hope for this. Secondly here as well, it's a bit awkward, but in verse 12, it says, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, this is not a literal promise. Don't worry. It's not like you get there and God's like, sweet, you become a stone pillar for eternity. No, no. There's a promise that we will permanently be with God. And if you read the Bible, you'll know from the beginning, this is what our hearts and bodies and very selves were made for, right? We were made to be with God and to be by God. Jesus came to bring us back to God. This is what you were created for. And there's a promise if we are faithful to Jesus, the faithful one, this is something we can hope for. And the third thing there as well, it's repeated three times, will be written on with the name of God, the name of the city of my God, and a new name. Now again, good news or bad news for some of you, it's probably not a tattoo, right? But this is a promise that we will belong to God. Never to be taken away, where God looks at us and he goes, Jeremy is mine. Jeremy is mine. See, when we're exhausted, we're longing for a break, eh? <laughs> we're longing for a time of rest. We're longing for a time of stability. We're longing for a time of love. These are the three things that Jesus promises these exhausted people. This is the hope that awaits us. But I guess the question is, how do you hope? Because typically hope is a passive thing, right? You don't have to tell a kid hope for your birthday or hope for Christmas. They're telling you how many sleeps away it is. You know, you, you don't have to teach them this. 
So how do we hope for a future that seems so kind of hopeful? Because we live in a world that grounds us in a hope here. It teaches us the world to hope for things here, that our biggest hope should be a bigger house, a smaller mortgage, a better holiday, more money, right? But I want to be clear, that is a hope that is taught to us. We learn that hope from conversations around barbecues, from advertisements, from seeing what we think, what our culture defines as success. It's kind of in the water around us. We don't go to lectures to learn how to hope for a bigger house, but it's taught to us. So if we want to have a bigger hope, a hope that is grounded in what God has for us, can I suggest we actually have to teach ourselves that hope as well? And I think we learn this by reading God's word and especially reading Revelation, reading the prophets in the Old Testament who speak of this hope. And also, and especially if you're exhausted, can I suggest reading Christian biographies, (laughs) reading stories of Christian women and Christian men who have lived for that hope and seeking to live in their footsteps too. One from our shores is um, this guy with the greatest sideburns in the history of humanity, Octavius Hadfield. You may have heard of him. In 1839, Octavius Hadfield made his way to New Zealand to be a missionary. He was a young man, but he had asthma and not very good health. And so when he arrived, Henry Williams, who was the head of the missionary society, said, okay, because you're so sick, you can stay up in the Bay of Islands because it's primo up there, and your job can be to teach the missionary kids. So he taught the missionary kids, but then one day, um, Kapiti Māori came up all the way up from the Kapiti coast and said to Henry Williams, we need a missionary to share the good news of Jesus with us. And Henry Williams said, we don't have a missionary to spare. And Octavius Hadfield heard this, and he said, I can only die once, and I'd rather die in a Māori pa than in a missionary's house. So he walked all the way from the Bay of Islands down to Kapiti, and the sick man uh, who had a big hope in Jesus, he served sharing the gospel for 30 or 40 years down there, eventually becoming the Archbishop of New Zealand, right? Now, why did he do this? Because he was fixated on the hope of the next life and his time with Jesus. It taught him how to live well now. So I love how Jesus finishes each of these messages. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I can see all of your ears. (laughs) So I guess the question is, have you heard what the Spirit is saying this morning? Uh, If you're a follower of Jesus and you are exhausted and suffering and at the end of your rope right now, I pray and hope you've heard the gentleness in Jesus' words. In this season, keep opening your mouth, keep holding on to Jesus, and keep hoping on, persevere. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're buzzing right now, you're like, I'm not suffering, I'm not exhausted, like, let me go, woo. I hope you've heard the wisdom in Christ's words. Prepare yourself for when that time of suffering comes. Practice talking about Jesus. Build that hope you have in Christ's future so when the tough times come, you're prepared. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you've heard the great hope that awaits for those who are followers of Jesus. Christ has opened a door. He's opened the way for you to come to God this morning. A door where he beckons everyone to come and experience this life. So I urge you, if you don't know Jesus as well, uh, afterwards stick around and talk um, because there's a way being made by Christ's death and resurrection for you to come to know God. Uh, Let me pray, and then I believe we're going to move into a time of communion.
Father God, um, I want to thank you that when we're exhausted at the end of our rope, you do not um, think we're being pathetic. I thank you as well that, Jesus, you know what it's like to be exhausted. Thank you that we have you when we pray as somebody who can empathize with our weaknesses. I pray, Father, for those sitting in church who maybe have a smile on their face, but on the inside they're suffering and hurting. And I pray that your words this morning have just been um, healing and hope to their ears. I pray you help us by your spirit to live for this bigger hope, all of us, um, for our hope not to be in bigger houses and smaller mortgages, um, but for our hope to be about your house (laughs) and your restoration of all things. Father, we love you and we pray that um, as we continue to worship you through communion and through singing, um, that this would bring joy to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.